For as long as I've known the NBA, it's been a stars league. But even among the stars, there's an exclusive club. Russell, Dr. J, Jordan, Kobe. They're all part of a select group that paved the way for the NBA superstar of today. And some even shared secrets with each other along the way. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Jackie McMullen, and this is the Icons Club. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Hello and welcome to Group Chat. I am Justin Barrier. Joining me, Big Wise, Rob Mahoney. Gentlemen, we're reaching the dog days of the NBA season, but we're almost there to the playoffs. Rob, are you excited for, what is it, two more weeks of NBA basketball? There are no dog days with you, Justin. With you, Waz, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> it's always a celebration when we're together. Um, all right, so we've got a, a little bit of a, a shtick-heavy episode today, but I'm excited about it. This is when we get a little weird when we try some things, and uh, I think this is going to be fun. We're going to get into some hot seat rankings later in the episode because this is around the time, I think, when GMs and coaches start to, to feel the burn, if you will. Uh, we start getting rumors and reports that maybe some guys are out, some people might be looking for changes. Uh, going to talk about the scoring boom that's happening across the league, weirdly. Um, but first, I want to get into... One of my favorite shticks we've done thus far, I hope. Uh, we're calling this Eastern Conference Survivor, and and Rob has been gracious enough to do all of the theme songs and and <laughs> sound effects associated with Survivor. Rob, do you want to hit us with a with a little sample? Well, first, could you give me like a little lore download because I gotta admit I've never seen a single episode of Survivor before. I get the general shtick, but like, what's some jargon I can work in here to feel topical? Um, you need a good social game. That's, that's jargon. That means like you need to work the people in order to get like the votes on get your side. like you. Okay. See, Rob, I mean, Waz, are you a fan? No, 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 no. Although shouts to my homegirl, Allie, a friend of mine out here. She was once on a season. I'm from what I understand, it's been like 45 seasons. 42. 42 seasons. She was on <laughs> one of them. So shouts to Allie. I should have known you knew a former Survivor contestant. I feel like yeah. your Rolodex I was runs blown deep. away when she told me this. I was like, mm. wait, what? <laughs> she was like, yeah, went to the island, did the thing. I worked out for months in preparation. But I was like, wow, that's sick. Yeah. The the preparation for a lot of that, not to get too sidetracked, is like is wild because you almost want to go in overweight and then you have to worry about like parasites. It's a real like it's like a real dark thing going on there. Yeah. Um, no but shot. none of that here. Just we're focusing specifically on the teams expected to make the playoffs and maybe even the play in of the Eastern Conference, as we've talked in the past. It's a very, very thick race, and only four of these teams can get out of the first round of the playoffs, the actual playoffs. And so it's we're going to have to make some choices here. So we're going to cast our votes and, and vote people out one by one is, is what we're doing here. Um, Rob, want to hit the theme song? How, how does it go? <laughs> Never mind. What you got? I, I would assume that would be producer Isaiah's job <laughs> to put the theme song in. 
But unless you want to rob the like beatbox, the the Survivor theme song, which I guess would be pretty funny, honestly. If only I knew it. <laughs> Not that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, Isaiah, can you just throw in some jungle noises throughout here? Just sprinkle them in. They'll they'll help. Um, all right, so we're gonna go one by one, cast our votes. Uh, let's start. I mean, I think we could all assume Hornets, Hawks expect to be out first, right? Yeah. Not even make the playoffs. Yeah. All right, I think we don't so. even have to get into that. Uh, that that's a pre-show vote out. They didn't even make the cut. Mm. Um, no, although I think the Hawks could upset. No, don't do it. The Raptors. <laughs> yeah, you don't think so? Okay. Well, do you want to talk about it? Yeah. I, I look. I, I I don't think. Man, and it's kind of crazy. I think they could upset the Nets without Kyrie. Just again, this is one game sample. I don't think they would beat either one of these teams in a four-game series. But I think in a one game, like, hey, both teams going balls to the wall. You never know with foul trouble, things like that. That's the beauty of a one-game elimination um, scenario. I think they could win. Um, not that I think they will, um, which we'll get into for hot seat purposes <laughs> okay. at the end of the show. I'd love that you're being true to yourself. The last man on Hawks Island. <laughs> I, I can't I can't get off. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, how much is this you just protecting your take from preseason? I, the take is done. The take is buried. It's dead. It's over. I've, I've watched this team give up 160 points enough nights to know that it's not going to happen for them this season in any meaningful way. Right, and none of these games are going to be happening at MSG, so you won't even get the tray bump. Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> all right, so Hornets and Hawks don't make the island. First mm-hmm. vote, wise. Who who are you putting down on your parchment? Cleveland Cavaliers. Mm. I mean, to me, they're just Wait, first. Wow, that's that's off. Out of all yes. the eight teams that like, yeah, 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 wow. Cleveland. Um, they're the youngest. Uh, most unproven of the bunch, and they're a dope, fun story, but they're reliant upon a rookie in um, Evan Mobley as their second best player, and their best player is a third-year guy who has never played a single playoff minute, right? And the idea that Cleveland would get out of the East, like, that it just doesn't jibe with me um, at all. Although I like their roster, um, apologies to the Cleveland faithful because I did dismiss them as anything other than another also ran this year before the season started. And people were like, hold on now. You didn't watch the end of the season now. We was balling at the end of last season, blah, blah, blah. And those people were right. Dean Wade? Yeah. Right. And those people were right. So, yeah, Cleveland is the first one I write off because I just write off young teams. Hmm. Well, Justin, we're talking about who can make it out of the first round, right? Like that's the the parameters. Oh, you're we're saying with. first round? I thought you said to the finals. Because that's why. No, no, no. I think you're onto something with the Cavs because mm. I think they have the the toughest upset case. Like how the Cavs would be better than these top Eastern Conference teams. It's kind of hard to parse, and and some of that is unfortunate because I think it's a product of the season they've had, where this is a good young team, as Waz outlined, that just hasn't had a chance to like fully cohere yet. You know, they built a rhythm with Ricky Rubio early, then they lost him. Darius Garland has missed time here and there throughout the season. Lowry Markinen's been out for long stretches. Then they traded for Karis LeVert. They're trying to integrate him, and Jared Allen goes out. We just don't really know what the fully functional version of this team looks like. And so if you want me to make a case for why they would beat the Heat or the Bucks or the Sixers, I just don't know that I can make it. Right. And Jared Allen is, has a fractured fring, finger that's kept him out, but I think he's foregoing surgery in order to push through it and expect it back later in the season. I don't know how that's going to work out. Is he just going to like work with a club like offensive linemen do when they break their hands? <laughs> um, but that's just going to make things more difficult for them. Um, but just to clarify, I guess it's the same thing, right? Uh, not to make the finals or make the first round, but the, the the bit is these are the teams that won't make the first out of the first round. For what yeah. it's worth. And I'm, I, I, I'm surprised that you guys would say the Cavs first because I would have pinpointed the Raptors above the Cavs. Yeah. You're talking about the giant killing Toronto Raptors, though. <laughs> this is what right. they do. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, they don't play offense particularly well. Right. And, and, and that's going to be a problem in the postseason. Yeah, like they've been an awesome story. Scotty Barnes has been great. We talked about him on a recent podcast. But, you know, they're still a work in progress. 
Pascal Siakam has also been great, but I think this is very much a uh, golf clap sort of season for them. Like you did a nice job, pat on the back for rebooting post Kyle Lowry pretty quickly here, but let's wait till next season. And I think it's important to note counter examples in the past, right? Uh, the Bucks offense of last year's playoffs was in moments vomitrocious. Um, you can look the numbers up. It was putrid. However, they were playing historically great defense on the other side of that, right? Like they were, they were like literally breaking defensive ratings metrics in the playoffs of last year. So I don't think <laughs> the Raptors are gonna play good defense. They're not gonna play historic defense. And that's why I, you know, I think it's smart to to say they're not gonna be able to get out the first round behind. Pascal Siakam one-on-one game or Fred Van Vliet, much as I love him, trying to finish amongst the trees, which is, you know, the weakest point of his game, right? Um, They just don't have it offensively. And I I like what Scotty Barnes does. I want to see, I want to see, especially after watching him against the Lakers hunting mismatches, like he plays with a level of force where like, I do want to see him hunting mismatches in the playoffs against smaller guys. Like, even as a rookie, he plays with a certain level of physicality that I think will serve him in a playoff setting. But even still, the Raptors don't really have the spacing that could facilitate this type of matchup hunting, even if he does have the requisite playmaking where, like, an obvious double comes and he can kick it out. They don't have the spacing. They don't have the offense. Um, The Raptors probably won't make get too far this postseason. I just don't know if they would be my pick this early. Like, I think the hmm. Cavs are my first cut just hmm. as an upset bid, but in terms of upset bid potential. Hmm. After that, I'm actually kind of looking at the Bulls and thinking, who can they beat? Wow. Of the, of the teams that they would realistically play, who can they beat? Because I'm looking at the Raptors. The Raptors are 3-0 against the Bucks, 2-1 against the Sixers, 2-1 against the Heat. <laughs> There's some potential there. They just beat mm. the Sixers without Fred Van Vliet and OG Ananobi. And if you're a guy like Joel Embiid or a guy like James Harden, for that matter, I don't know that you want to see a team of long, savvy opponents mm. coached by Nick Nurse in a playoff series. I don't know mm. that that's what you want to be spending your first round doing. And so if there is going to be, let's say, a normal underseed, because the, the Nets are kind of aberrational as an eighth seed that could be an upset, could have upset potential, I think the Raptors are it. And I, I'm probably not fully drinking the Kool-Aid on them just yet, but I definitely am nursing my cup and sipping it a little bit. Okay. Uh, and the counterpoint to that is the Bulls are 0-16 against the top three teams in each Sheesh. of the conferences. Got That's blown out last night against the Bucks. Uh, Waz, how are you feeling about the Bulls? Man, it's just a shame what the injuries have done um, to the team, particularly on the defensive end. And I think... You know, when you when you start watching Vooch trying to defend at a high level, it, yeah. it it gets it gets to be pretty ugly. And I do understand, like, you know, that's a that's a great advanced stat. Oh, and 16. <laughs> like that's a great, that's a great metric. Um, I understand Rob's reservations about that team. And you know, I the Bulls, why I like them is that in crunch time, I know they're gonna generate decent shots. Uh, but will these games even be close, right? When you think about the injuries and you think about the defense. So, I, I, man, I do understand just basically like, I think they could give Philly a run for their money if Philly falls to the fourth spot. Because again, I don't believe that Philly's figured everything out. I think Philly's a much more talented team and it's better. But I don't think that they figured out how they want to attack teams since the Harden trade. And that's no fault of their own. It's not like it's been this, you know, great amount of games that they've played. It's not like they've had this great runway. So I think Philly's kind of the only team, because Boston, I think, is just a horrible matchup for them. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like, your wing defense? Like, what the hell are you supposed to do with those dudes? And Boston is playing at just an absurd level on the defensive end themselves. And so... If you don't got guys that can hold up against Tatum, like, for instance, if the Raptors played Boston, that's a dogfight for Boston because OG and Pascal and Scotty Barnes, and it's like, 
whoa, all of this wing depth on defense. And I've watched OG shut down Jason Tatum on an island for a whole playoff series. That's happened before. We've seen it, right? So I think Toronto would present matchup problems for Boston that Chicago, they don't have the freaking horses to do it. So it becomes like Philly because like, because like realistically, I don't think Miami can fall to four. Although, you know, things are looking pretty close there. Mm. Forget about Milwaukee. They're going to dog walk Chicago if they end up playing them. We oh, just think, saw it. Yeah, I think Philly is is probably their best matchup. And then that's not a strong matchup for them. No, you're going to get wrecked by Embiid in that matchup. But if you're the Bulls, you can at least exploit Philly's perimeter defenders. Yes. And you don't have to be as worried about DeMar defensively. Because DeRozan is a guy you have to hide. And you can either yeah. put him on Thibel or Thibel, Tobias Harris, Danny Green, George Niang. There's a lot of places, of places he can. Yeah, he yeah. can hang out in a lot of different places, and you just have to hope you can at least like create enough confusion and chaos around Harden to neutralize some of his impact. So if you're going to have a case as the Bulls, it's there. Here's the bad news: is the Celtics have the hardest remaining schedule, and the Sixers have one of the easiest. Mm. So I don't really see how the Sixers are going to yeah. slip into four or five against the Bulls per se. It's tough. Well, I don't know if the Celtics are ever going to lose another game. So it <laughs> even matters at this point. Um, the Bulls, I mean, my issue is how do they even create that sort of chaos Rob is talking about with James Harden or against anybody considering yep. the injuries that yep. they've sustained? I mean, Caruso's back. Patrick Williams is back, but on a minutes restriction. So the cavalry is kind of coming. They look like the team that I think probably people expected them to be earlier well, it, on when they were... The- the cavalry is coming, but one member of the cavalry yeah. is being ramped down in Lonzo Ball. Yes, yeah, mm. so Lonzo Ball, the latest, is that he's actually going to pull back on his rehab. And as we've been saying throughout the season, throughout the season, the entire season, uh, if they don't have him or Caruso, like, where is the defensive help? I mean, maybe Williams is, like, back up to speed in time to provide that for them, but, like, that's asking a lot of a second-year player coming off of a near-complete uh, season injury. So I don't know. It's, it's looking pretty dicey. Yeah. And if we're um, being totally honest with ourselves about Pat Williams, he wasn't that player before. Like he, yeah. he does a lot of classic young player stuff, makes some really nice plays and then has some emptier stretches. That's just reality of, of relying on a player at that age. But he's been watching a lot of tape, Rob. I don't know if you've been reading Crunching the stories, it, eating <laughs> that tape. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think we're all in agreement. Bottom three here, Cavs, Raptors, Bulls in some order, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, they're off. They're off the island. Wait, Rob is not convinced. I mean, I, I just I think the rap like how you navigate that order varies a little bit. Like you know, again, where you put which team. Mm-hmm. The Raptors might have the best case for busting out of it, but like I don't know how you argue that they have a better chance than the Nets. Who you know, like, with all due respect to the Raptors, <laughs> who as I mentioned have been giant killers this season. The difference between playing them and playing Brooklyn is just absolutely enormous. Okay. Um, then let's flip to the fourth team voted off the island here. Uh, this is probably where it gets really interesting. Waz? Look, I, man, I, I watched the entirety of that Utah Jazz-Nets game where KD is just, he, he's not only just destroying people, he's yelling at opposing players. He's, he's egging on the fans. He is a man on fire. And I'm just like, so, <laughs> so somebody's supposed to deal with this <laughs> for the duration of a seven-game series and see the other side of it. Um, man, it's 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 looking tough, and I think the Bucks' defense has reached. They're up to fifteen or sixteen now if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, again, they're not the 16th worst defense or best defense in the league, but they're definitely not in their current iteration what they were last year, which is just stopping everybody and in the regular season anyway. And then in the playoffs, when we stop dicking around, we put Giannis at the five and we're scaring. We're just, you know, enveloping teams. Brooke Lopez is back and... I think that's going to make a difference, but he's coming back from a major injury that's cost him 80% of the season. Woo, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think I would pick, because I've picked the Bucks all year to get out of the East. I think I would pick them against Brooklyn. 
But I don't know. And Miami is 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 where it gets interesting because that's what it's looking like it's gonna end up as. And I just think that's gonna be um that's a that's a seven game series against the Nets. Um uh especially if the Kyrie thing gets remedied um pretty soon here. So, you know, if you're not voting the Nets off, you're voting either Miami or the Bucks off of the island. Not the Sixers? But that would mean the Sixers jump to number one. Or, or that they or, lose to the Raptors. Or that they yeah. lose to the Raptors. Mm, this is interesting. Yeah. Rob, this where is, are you? Yeah, this is where the probability game comes in. Because if I'm thinking about that Heat-Nets as a potential 1-8 matchup, and who knows if we'll get it. You know, with the play-in structure, just starting at 8, know. you could easy, so easily move up to 7. So who knows what we're right. ultimately going to get. The Nets are really, really tough, but I think if they do end up playing the Heat, the combination of really clever, experienced players, plus elite defense, plus Eric Spolstra, who's probably mm -hmm. the best playoff coach we have in the league right now, that feels like enough to keep them at bay. Mm. Maybe provided that Kyrie's situation remains what it is. Because, you know, as friend of the pod, Michael Pina wrote for SI.com today, the Nets have a historic road offense hmm. and if only there were some way that one <laughs> player could single-handedly translate that to their home performance they'd really that have something insane. going well, that's that why i wonder so if the play-in is going to be harder for the nets than the playoffs because the way the play-in shakes out right now they would be on the road in toronto for the first game which means that Kyrie would not be playing right and then if they lose that game they would be home against either the Hornets or the Hawks. And while KD could probably win both of those games by himself, you're not getting Kyrie for either of those. And so the margin for error is obviously greater than so like the play in for the Nets is actually going to be particularly dicey. But if they get out of that, and I think we expect them to, I'll be honest, like I'm having a tough time not picking them as the most dangerous team, perhaps even the best team of this entire crew, even with Kyrie wow. playing part time, just because of like just having Ky like Katie able to just like win a game or two by himself. That's all you really need. Uh, I, I think is probably the biggest curveball you could throw at any of these other teams. And so I would probably lean more toward the Sixers getting my vote off of the island, off of the top four. As a rather than any of these other teams, like I think the Nets are there with a bullet. With a bullet, you're so you're penciling in first round upset against either the Heat or the Bucks, basically. Yeah. Unless the six, unless the Sixers can crawl into second place, in which they would be knocked off potentially. Yeah, and that's assuming that Kyrie doesn't even get a reprieve and is is out for the road wow. games. Yeah. That's a lot of faith, my friend. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the Tyler Hero defensive clips lately. <laughs> oh boy, man, he is really bad. And if, if like if yeah. they can't hide him, and if they have that on the court, Katie's just going to pick him apart in in those sort of situations. And again, you only need like what one or two wins without Kyrie. Like, I think that's fine. I mean, they don't have to play him though. Like that's the thing about the Heat is they could just not play Tyler Hero down the stretch of certain games. Their offense is going to is going to suffer for it a little bit, and that's the big question with them. Is like, does Miami have the half court shot creation to really hold off some of these elite teams? And if they end up playing Brooklyn, they're playing at least a quasi elite team much earlier than they would like to. The tests mm -hmm. the tests are going to come much earlier this year in the Eastern Conference, pretty much no matter who you're playing against. And the thing I like about Miami too is the PJ factor in the sense that, and people are going to laugh about this, but like. He played really good defense against KD last year in the playoffs. But, like, at times, KD was just making really tough shots. But P.J. Tucker, like, changed things um, in games three and four for Milwaukee um, with his defense against KD individually and on an island, right? Like, especially games three and four. And I love that Miami now has him as... Look, nobody's going to stop Kevin Durant. It's a matter of providing some level of resistance that makes it so that Kevin Durant is exerting himself in an extreme way 
on every single possession when he tries to score one-on-one. It's not just this breeze by, oh, I have this little guy on me, turn around, shoot it over. Like, he has to exert himself for 45 minutes a game every single night, and you hope that that takes its toll on even the most superhuman of superhumans in KD, right? And I love that Miami has that. And, of course, you know, they have different options that they could throw at him, whether it be Jimmy or even a Bam out of bio. Um, so defensively, you like what the, they they can throw at the Nets. Um, as always, I'm I'm always worried about generating offense for the Heat in a playoff setting. You know, because as much as I love Jimmy, like his freaking injuries, just nagging injury after nagging injury, and you know, at times we've seen him be a dynamo on that end where he's just forcing his way to the free throw line, double digit free throws, and he's getting to the rack and he's getting to his um his beautiful mid-range game. But man, yo, like that that that's not your favorite superstar crunch time offense diet in the world, right? Like it's not exactly the Atkins diet if you if you get my drift. <laughs> sure. I just can't get over this game a couple weeks ago in which Bam Adebayo and a bunch of bench players beat the Nets and didn't seem like they had that much <laughs> trouble doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, yeah, that was without Pete, everything was laid out without PJ Tucker offering the resistance without Jimmy Butler scoring and defending and grifting his way into free throws without all the Kyle Lowry acceleration. They just beat him. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of see that dynamic playing out. And so everything we've said about Miami's half court offense, it's probably eased a little bit by the fact that Brooklyn's defense is not, any great it's shakes. not elite it's, it's not. not great I, I like if i am miami i'm not scared of andre drummond i'm not scared of the small ball nets particularly because bam can cover so well and i have so much lineup versatility but i'm hoping you guys can help me parse two bits of, of statistical information i don't know how to decipher which is hmm. by the numbers the heat have been the best defense against elite offenses this season the absolute best the Brooklyn Nets have been one of the best offenses against, against elite, elite defenses. defenses. <laughs> I don't know where that's supposed to leave us, but we have to figure it out. Yeah, no, my, I think we all agree that PJ Tucker did a very good job against Kevin Durant last postseason, right? Uh, here are Kevin Durant's <laughs> numbers over, <laughs> here we go. Over, over seven games. 35 points, 50% shooting from the floor, 35% from three, 10.6 rebounds, 5.4 assists, 1.6 steals, 1.1 blocks in 43 minutes a game. <laughs> he's going to play every minute and he's going to score a shit ton of points. And like, I think you're going to get into a track meet. You're going to have to trade off points no matter what happens, which means you're going to want to have to skew offense more, which just plays more into the Nets hand in that series. The most important stat though, Justin, four L's for Kevin Durant. <laughs> Okay. Oh my God. He's out so of there. One inch of, of, <laughs> of, of shoe. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I think that's actually a good question. So the nets in a weird way could almost force their opponent here, whether it's the heat or the box. I mean, it could even be the Sixers or the Celtics, depending on, on how things shake out. If you're the nets and you're saying, well, I could either beat, let, let's just assume that they beat the Raptors or they could say, let's take this game off and let's win the second game and and play for the two seed. Like, who would you be trying to get of those four if you're the Nets? I don't think they're in a position to play games. Sure. Like, I think... But, if, but I just think go it, with me for a second. <laughs> <laughs> to, me, to me, if I'm going to choose between the Heat, the Bucks, the Sixers, and the Celtics, if I'm the Nets, I want to play the Sixers. Yep. We're, we're arriving on a theme here, which is Ooh. if you're one of these teams trying to upset, I think you want to play the Sixers. You which want to is, play the Sixers. It's wild considering Joel. Like none of these teams have any answer for Joel Embiid, but what they have around Embiid is still preferable to deal with than some of these other elite teams. And two things that that need to be you know underlined, and and I know people are tired of hearing this shit, but look, James Harden has a terrible playoff record, like horrible. And quite as kept, Joel Embiid has never played up to his regular season standard in the playoffs. Not one time in his career has he done so. So it's not like he has this. And I know, I remember the Toronto series where they outscored um, Toronto with Joel on the floor and it was backup center that doomed them and whatever. I don't want to fucking hear it. Okay, <laughs> I mean, it's they true. Lo- okay, here we go, Rob. <laughs> we get it. We, 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 we know this. 
but individually, Joel Embiid has never played up to his regular season standards in the playoffs. And you would think a player of his caliber would have done so in one playoff series, right? He's never done it. And, you know, you think about his peers, people like, I don't know, Nikola Jokic, who seems to just completely trash people every single playoffs, right? Seems to get actually better every single playoffs that he plays in, every single series that he's in. Um, he seems to dominate. So, yeah, I look at the playoff record of the two most important people on the Sixers, and I'm like, yeah, give me that team. Well, they also have the biggest wild card of any dynamic for any of these contending teams, which is how are Harden and Embiid going to be officiated? Because we've seen mm. incredible mm. swings over mm. the course of the season, as I'm sure we'll talk about in the uh, the scoring boom talk we have planned later. But if they call those guys to the rule versus as loosely as they have versus as tightly as they have at various points in the season, they're just subject to incredible swings in offensive performance in ways that even other foul-drawing players aren't. Like Jimmy Butler, historically, is one of the most sustainable foul-drawers in the league, regular <laughs> season to playoffs. Like, whatever it is that he does, plays in the playoffs. It, Not always the case for James Harden. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. Even when James Harden was getting a step on guys, he wasn't getting the calls. He's no longer getting a step on guys. He's absolutely not going to get the calls. He's not going to draw fouls in the playoffs because he's not dribbling past people anymore. So I think Joel is still going to get his calls. I think Joel is going to be fine because Joel is going to make it so that he's in and near the basket, his up fake game, his all of that. He's, he's like going to get there. And he's going to be like, like, there are going to be times where teams have to legitimately foul the guy because he's overwhelmed his defender. Like, that's going to happen. James Harden not overwhelming nobody. Not on a one-on-one -on -one basis. He's just straight up not. Um, and, yeah, that's that's a beautiful, beautiful point you just illustrated, Rob. <laughs> Thank you, Waz. <laughs> it was a nice comeback for James Harden that week or two after he got <laughs> traded to the Sixers. And it's like, oh, James showing a little extra step here. And then you get the stats about how foul drawing is way up over the past month. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> something is afoot here. But how do we make sense of this? I mean, if we think a potential Miami-Brooklyn series, I mean, how would, you, how would you weight the probabilities of that, Justin? If you think the Nets are likely to win that series, are they like a 60-40? Are they like a 70-30? How would you break it down? Probably closer to 70-30. I'm just wow. not as big of a believer in the heat as I think a lot of people are, and maybe that's like a me issue. Yeah, you didn't dig your career out of the mud like we did. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I was, I was covering girls' gymnastics back uh, in the day. I was, I was grinding uh, <laughs> for, for those newspapers. They, they saying JV ain't from the soil, boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think we're all in agreement here. I think it's the Sixers who are getting voted. Off. Yeah, Sixers voted off the island for sure. Here's the thing is like if the Sixers are still more likely to get upset than some of these other teams, but if there's only like a 35% chance to get upset and we think Nets heat is anything close to 50-50, then it would have to be one of those teams. What are these numbers you're, you're just pulling out here? <laughs> you're, you're asking us to make probabilities for who's going to get eliminated. So I'm trying to think of it in those terms. Uh-huh. I mean, I think 70-30 Nets over Heat is wild. I think that is a wild choice for, considering Kyrie Irving is nah. probably not going to play for the majority of that series. I don't series. think it's 70-30. What, what I, do I you just, think it is? Pull out your graphing calculator and, and chart me uh, a path here. I think, look, I think the Nets are 50-50 against the Heat in the series. Even at full strength, I think it's 50-50 just by nature of how series goes, man. And the Nets are eminently attackable defensively like they are like you can you can go at those guys you know whether it be Kyrie or the rest of the bunch um in their backcourt right uh you know Goran Dragic like yeah. these you know you think, Patty the, you think Mills. the heat the heat might have an idea of how to attack Goran Dragic yeah, you think yeah yeah these guys are <laughs> eminently attackable um and i think the heat have enough juice on ball that they can attack those guys, you know. Um, so I do think it's 50-50. I just think the t of the top four teams, the team that I could see imploding in a playoff series most easily are the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah. Like, it just, that just seems obvious to me. 
Yeah. And like, as we outlined in the last episode, I think there's like really big rotational concerns that they need to figure out on the fly here that I just don't know if they have the time for it. And I don't know if Doc Rivers is the guy to do it. Um, so Rob, if you're casting doubt on the Sixers getting voted out, like who would you put in that place then? You got to vote somebody out. That's how Survivor works. I think I would, I would put the Nets next. Mm. Okay. Because I think they also have implosive potential. Again, I just think they have a, a 45% chance or so of losing in the first <laughs> round <laughs> to assign more arbitrary numbers to it. All right. Um, now, guys, we go to final tribal which is typically the last three teams. So we're going to extend it to four here because it does seem like this is kind of a coin flip might be dictated by matchup sort of thing here. So in final tribal, you make the case for the team you want to go to the finals here to win it all essentially out of the Eastern conference. Um, So was which of these four that we've picked here, the Miami heat, the bucks, the Celtics, and for us, the Brooklyn nets for Rob, the 76ers, are you giving the million dollars to? I'm I'm steadfast with my Bucks pick, and especially having Brooke Lopez back because I think what's important is what I mentioned earlier is the versatility of being able to go ultra big with Brooke Lopez, or if I go quote unquote small <laughs> with Giannis at the five. Like they have the ability when you don't possess an on ball guy who can kill kill my drop coverage, I'm just going to pack the paint on your ass and you will never score down there for the entire series. If you don't have a guy who can punish um, uh, uh, pick and roll defenders for sagging off and as soon as my, 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 my guy plants the, my defender and I get a wide open jump shot. Um, and also, if you don't have guys who can exploit what the Bucs are trying to do with elite mid-range shooting, right? So it's not just the pull-up three. It's that you have guys who aren't afraid to dribble into a mid-range shot and hit that with efficiency because that's the weak point of a soft sort of conservative drop-back defense. If you don't possess those kind of guys, the net, I mean, the, 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 the Bucks defense can grind you into dust. And so the Bucs having Brooke back the defensive versatility, again, Giannis understanding what it takes to persevere in the crucible of the postseason, Justin. Mm. Um, give me the Bucks, man. I'm I'm still Bucks. Rob, are you still Bucks? I'm still Bucks. Now, now oh. and forever, apparently. I'm sorry. <laughs> These are boring. Well, look, I mean, now that they have kind of the shape of their roster back with Brooke oh. Lopez starting mm-hmm. again. I like I like what they have. And even the guys on their team, the points in the rotation where you'd be like, can they get enough from this seventh or eighth I people guy? Are, I know people are doing a lot of concern trolling with Bobby Portis. And I sure. do think legitimately not having P.J. Tucker as a wing defender, that's gonna going hurt. to be a thing that matters. But even those guys, even if we're going to concern troll about Bobby Portis or Pat Connaughton coming back or Serge Ibaka as he works his way back in, those are all proven playoff guys. Like health health permitting, these are guys who have done it on big stages before. I have learned over the last year of my life not to doubt that when the ball swings to Pat Connaughton in the corner in a big moment, apparently he's just going to hit the shot. It's just what's going to happen. Mm. And so I have come to accept that this is the world we live in and that the Milwaukee Bucks are the team that's most likely to come out of the East. That's what age brings you. The perspective that Pat Connaughton is the key. All that sweet Pat Connaughton wisdom, Justin. Yeah. Uh, can I concern troll about something else, actually? Because I was going to bring up the defense, which is now 13th overall in the league over the course of the season. And since the deadline is in the bottom third of the Not NBA, hugging up against the likes of the Detroit Pistons, the San Antonio Spurs, <laughs> and Waz's Atlanta Hawks. That's not, that can never be a good sign. So I think that's my bigger concern is like how real are the defensive issues and do they have the personnel to, to, to get that right? Especially when Brooke Lopez is, yeah, he's back, but like, does he have enough like spinal fluid at this point in order to make it through an entire postseason? Yeah. It's, it, is Brooke Lopez a 10 minute, 15 minute a game playoff guy, or is he a guy you can play 35 minutes if you have to, that might be what decides their playoff run. That's a scary place to find yourself if you're the defending champions, but I think what's ultimately going to break down for them is this is going to have to be a different kind of run. 
Waz laid out last year. Their offense was putrid at times. They won primarily with defense. They're going to have to win with offense a lot more often Mm -hmm. to make this work. And I think they have the pieces to do it. And the trade-off of saying, oh, they've been this bad offensively, or sorry, this bad defensively, they've still been winning a lot of those games. And they've been winning them with one or two guys out of the lineup at a given time. They've just kind of made it work in terms of some of the tougher scoring situations. And so... You have to bet on that if you're betting on the Bucks at this point. That's just that's just where they find themselves. So for me, I'm kind of caught in a left brain, right brain situation because intellectual me looks at all of the numbers the Boston Celtics have put up for many, many months at this point. They're far and away the best defense in the league. They have a solid ass, what, seven to eight man rotation. Jason Tatum is p- finally playing awesome, giving them the offensive boost that they've always needed in order uh, to make this whole thing work. I can't quite get there with them in part because the rotation is so tight. And that I think if they actually lose a Grant Williams or a Peyton Pritchard, like I do wonder like what's going to happen. I guess they could run like a seven man rotation like the Nets did last year and just kind of like ride the rails, Steve Nash style. Uh, but there's something about their them that I can't quite get them to the favorite status, partly probably because Tatum hasn't done it for long enough in order to, to, to assure me that he could be that guy for an entire postseason. It's pretty telling, though, that they didn't really come up at all as a team that we would eliminate. And I think that's because <sighs> considering how stacked and how challenging the bottom of the East has turned out to be relative to the middle, the Celtics might actually be like the best bet to make it mm. through the first round at this point. Right. That is what I would I would describe them as. Yeah. And, and I think... The Celtics defense is the best unit in the conference, right? I, even more so than the uh, Nets offense. I think they have the best unit in the conference. And, like, once you have that, especially in a first-round setting, like, come on, bring it, Cavs. Like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> uh, which takes me now to, I guess, my lizard brain here. And I can't get over the fact that Kevin Durant is the best player probably in the NBA. Yeah. And I know like that Giannis figured something out last year. I don't dismiss the idea that he took a leap or that the Brook uh, that the Milwaukee Bucks collectively took a leap and are now like minted and, and have our title tested, all that stuff we say about them. But the Brooklyn Nets almost beat them with James Harden on one hamstring and a bunch of bums and without Kyrie Irving. If they get Kyrie Irving for a couple games in the series against the Bucs, I, I just like, I don't know how I'm picking against the Nets there. And it's really tough to pick against KD in a conference where it's like, there isn't a clear cut team that could just like knock them off in four games. Like there's, there are issues about every team that could go against the Nets and which leads me to the best player in the best conference, not to be reductive, but like it's hard to pick. Like this is the LeBron rule essentially best player. And I'm going to go with KD. See, like you're picking KD. I, I'm picking against, you know, Bruce Brown and, uh, Bruce Brown's been good lately. You know, cause no, he has, but that that that's what I'm picking against. It's the Claxtons, it's sure the the uh, Blake Griffins, it's it's those are the guys that the the, the Patty Millses and the Goran Drogics. It's like, come on, man, team's <laughs> gonna figure out a way to stop those guys and get it done. So if I'm going with the Nets and like I guess the the Celtics as one B, that isn't enough to get them to the to the finals. You guys are both voting for the Bucks, correct? Yeah. I, I think they are the the lone survivors from the Eastern Conference. Congratulations. Rob, hit the theme song. <laughs> we passing out like immunity. I, what is an immunity idol? Can you explain <laughs> the concept to me? <laughs> We're too far gone for that. Um, you can't use an immunity idol in the final travel, Rob, mm. obviously. My mistake. All right. Uh, let's, let's flip now to... A, Big picture trend that's happening. We kind of alluded to it before, but uh, scoring way up in March. Uh, kind of an oddity here because it's happening, I guess, simultaneously, or maybe these are both like connected with the 50-plus point boom from individual scorers, LeBron, Kyrie, etc., uh, have been going off of late. Uh, ben Taylor, who does a lot of good work for thinking basketball, uh, also found that this is league-wide. The offensive rating is highest than ever before in, in a single month, in the month of March. And as we alluded to, shooting fouls way up. I guess, Rob, what do you make of all of this? Is this some? Is this a thing? Do we need to care about this? Is, this? is this something that you're interested in? I mean, determining whether it's a thing 
requires us to look at like six intersecting trends and try to untangle that knot. And I, I frankly don't know how to do it because on the most basic level, offensive efficiency ramping up over the course of the season is not uncommon. Overall, the league tends to start slower offensively, build up as it goes on. This year, you have the thorny complication of these points of emphasis in the officiating coming and going over the course of the year. And right now, especially just being thrown out the window in terms of allowing defenders to make certain kinds of contact. The one takeaway that I've had in watching a lot of the games these month, this month is for whatever reason, whenever I'm watching a game and thinking, oh, the refs are actually like really letting guys defend and letting guys play tonight, it's a Celtics game. And I think there's something about the way Boston is defending that is neutralizing this impact to some extent. And that's not entirely surprising considering that's the best defensive team in the league by far right now, as Waz talked about. But I don't know. There's there's something about those games that makes me feel optimistic about Boston's playoff chances and ultimately, I guess, more confused about why things are booming in terms of scoring the way they are. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of think of football when I like look up sometimes and I see Kirk Cousins is putting up stats that like Peyton Manning used to put up and it was like considered video game stuff. It's just like, this is just the new normal. I think we just have a a shock to it. It's like everybody's figured out shoot threes. Everybody's figured out this like three yards in a cloud of dust at a time is over in football. Everybody's throwing the ball. And so passing numbers are up, scoring is up, et cetera, et cetera. Like, that, that, like this just seems like the natural progression of where we're going, where, you know, for somebody like me who remembers watching Knicks Heat's playoff games and literally end in the 70s. These games mm -hmm. ended in the 70s. I'm not making this up. <laughs> so, like, I understand as, like, an old that it's like, wow, this feels crazy. And it's, you know, by the numbers, it's legitimately the highest offensive efficiency since whenever. I just think this is what it is now, right? Um, teams are all playing smarter than they should. You know, coaches aren't arbitrarily, you know, freaking punting the ball on fourth and three inches anymore. There's the same stuff. Teams aren't leaving the easy stuff on the board anymore. And so scoring is up and we should just get used to it. Like I'm it's like when I saw this question, I literally thought about Kirk Cousins because there's times where I, like I look up at somebody's quarterback numbers and I'm like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. Like th this guy's able to do this and absolutely nobody respects him at his position. You know, so that's just what I think it is with basketball at this point. Yeah, and it was some of these individual performances. Like, I've seen some people poo-pooing Sadiq Bey's nah, 51. Bay was that was legitimate. He dropped a legitimate 50. Legitimate 50. And I get, like, it's against the Magic. I get why you would turn <laughs> your nose up at that. The Magic just beat the Warriors? Like, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, real basketball, to some extent, is still being played at this stage <laughs> in the season. There are teams that are trying desperately to tank out of the play-in race. That is definitely a thing that's happening. But... I don't know, like these are still staged against real NBA competition, against real professionals, against real defenders. It's not like a weird like uh, blip in terms of how basketball is being played at this stage in the season so much as, I don't know, it, it really does seem like more of an officiating thing to me. I think the more interesting question here is, do we want this? Like, do we want more scoring or did we appreciate earlier in the season where teams could be a little bit more defensive and, and could provide maybe more of a counter to that. You're basically arguing, I guess, for more strategy. Um, and definitely teams and players would be arguing more for, for that advantage and not being able to, the offensive players, just to get away with anything. And I guess for me, it's like, do I care? Like, am I having more fun watching 50 points every couple of nights? Or do I want, like PJ Tucker you have more of an advantage. And I think ultimately I don't care. And I actually just want the entertainment value. <laughs> yeah. I, I, what I don't want is the stuff that's not entertaining, which is some of the foul hunting that we've seen in previous years, the stop short, stick your ass out and let the guy hump you in your butt. And then, you know, the official calls it a freaking a foul. The <laughs> James Harden grabbing the guy's arm on his way yeah. to the basket. He gets a two-shot foul. The freaking, yo, Gary Trent Jr., straight up karate kid, 
kicking everybody every time he takes a freaking three and he's awarded a three-shot foul. I don't want to see that shit. So long as everybody's getting their buckets legitimately within the flow of legitimate NBA offense and aren't doing this, you know, what my man Bomani Jones calls uh, basically like tax accounting tricks. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like you finding little loopholes in the rule book to get to the free throw line. So long as that's not what's occurring on our way to these absurd offensive numbers, I'm completely cool with all of it. I just hate seeing like the bullshit three-shot fouls or the, even the bullshit two-shot fouls. Long as you get in your buckets legitimately, you shoot and you score, go ahead, brother. I mean, some consistency would be nice. One way or the other, honestly. (laughs) Like, can we just, can we just call it one way? Can we agree that kicking out is a foul or is not that baiting in these ways is a foul or is not? Because I think the worst case scenario is you get into the playoffs and the guys who are participating in those games and coaching those games don't really know what the the battleground is that they're walking into. That's what we don't want. Yeah. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, and like you said, it, it, I think it has ripple effects into the playoffs, particularly for the Philadelphia 76ers. So we'll keep an eye on there. But uh, before we get to our last segment, we have to pay some bills here, guys. Uh, our friends at State Farm want us to talk about college basketball. So we will do our best. Some fans assume that two and three seed teams will breeze through the first round of the tournament, but then a 14 or 15 seed team plays a perfect game and surprises everyone with a huge upset was you are a huge college basketball fan uh was billis over here is what i like to call you <laughs> which of these upsets from the ncaa tournament have caught your eye oh that's easy uh my man shaheen holloway queens born of course he played his high school basketball out in jersey and st pat's so the jersey people want to claim him but he's a new york city guy uh and st peter's upsetting kentucky Beautiful, of course, at the at, at the end of the game, the press conference, he explained, us New York City guys, we, we, we're tough guys. We're not afraid of anything. We're not going to be afraid of a stacked Kentucky team. We're going to go in there. We're going to play hard-nosed ball, and we're going to upset them and get to the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament, Just Speaking right to Waz's heart with the, the New York toughness. You right, know? right. Un- unfortunately, my Yukon Huskies did not have enough mm. of that New York toughness, and they they were felled by the New Mexico State Cowboys. I don't even know what they are. I I don't I don't know what's going on there. But they had this one guy. I think his name was Terry Allen, who scored like thirty seven points. Was was doing step backs like he was James Harden. Well, the good news is I'm sure a lot of these guys on these upsetting teams they could be in line for some money. They could be in line for some nil cash. And I guess we have to talk about at some point the implications on the other side of that. I know we're going to talk about the NBA hot seat. Do we have to have an uncomfortable John Calipari conversation at some point? I don't know. Mm. Uh, our producer suggests that is the Aggies and it was Teddy Allen, not Terry mm. Allen. So uh, typically I, I'm, I'm very precise with my college basketball takes, but uh, there you go. Even when you assume it won't be a big year for certain teams, there are always a few that make history. It's like people that assume they can't afford great insurance, but then they discover that State Farm has surprisingly great rates. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Get a quote today. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month. 
just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20 for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerMBA. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerMBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Let's uh, let's flip back to our typical peer view. Uh Hot seat rankings. Let's let's get spicy here. Uh, I asked you guys to come with your top three ballot for guys or gals who are facing some heat as we get down the stretch here. Um, Rob, why don't you start us off? Who's at the top of your hot seat rankings? Is it even fair to include Frank Vogel? (laughs) I had him number one. So yeah. Yeah. I think he's got to be number one. I'm just kind of operating under the assumption really of not a particular fault of Frank's, but that he's going to be gone and they're going to make changes there because that's what big market teams in struggling situations do when they're, they can't seem to like keep their heads above water is, Oh, let's just fire the coach. Uh, especially if they, for some reason, can't trade Russell Westbrook. What else are you going to do? Hmm. I mean, to me, the hottest seat absolutely should be in the Nate McMillan. Uh, I'm hmm. sorry. You went to the conference finals last year and you're a freaking 10 seed this year. And you cannot convince these guys to play consistent defense for the life of you. And defense is your calling card, right? And it's not for like, look, Trey Young at the point of attack is a problem. Uh, Gallinari is a problem um, defensively. These are guys getting, in Trey Young's case, he's the all-star. He gets heavy minutes. Gallinari's getting heavy minutes. They're terrible on defense. But you have defensive talent on this team in a Kongu, in Clint Capella, who got $100 million legitimately just to play defense, you know, and that's before we get to guys like Hunter and Collins, et cetera, et cetera. You should have been able to cobble together a better defensive unit than what you put together this year. Your freaking bench mob lineups. It's just been awful. And, and I hate calling for guys' jobs, but uh, Nate McMillan, you did the Cardinal sin. You made me look bad. You made one of my picks <laughs> fail. You made me look bad, so you're out of here. I like to think of it not as calling for these guys' jobs, but we're warning, we're doing a service to them, warning them that, hey, things could get dicey for you pretty quickly here. Well, so I had Nate number two on my list. I guess the question with the Hawks is how much is is it a coaching issue and how much is it a roster issue? Because on the one hand, they do have talent. They have a lot of players on this team to the point where they could just give away a, a recent lottery pick to the Knicks and Cam Reddish and like not really even feel it. On the other hand, like, does this roster make sense? Is there enough to cobble together a good enough defense? Obviously, they have the offensive talent, but like, it's so just topsy turvy. It's so like one sided offensively that I wonder, like, should Travis Schlank have like figured something out to create a little bit more balance for Nate McMillan? Because Nate McMillan is the second coach in two years at this point, and so I do wonder, like, do you have to start looking elsewhere outside of the coach? I mean, for me. Their offense can be so damn explosive at times, which is just like when you get a unit like that, you want to be able to be like, all right, this is something special and important. Teams dream of being able to put the ball in a basket this easily the way the Hawks can. Um, So to me, it's like it's just about scotch taping this damn defense and making it competent. Like you don't need to have a Rolls Royce defense, but I'll take a Prius (laughs) right now. It's it's a Pinto. It's a goddamn hoopty of a defense right now. I don't know what to make of DeAndre Hunter and Clint Capella on defense. I really don't like I really thought that those guys could prop something like this up. And we I thought there was enough evidence from last year to corroborate that. Clearly, whatever it was that was working has gone completely off the rails. Yeah, my question is, I guess, twofold. Is like Clint Capella not able to anchor a defense by himself? 
Or is that idea that one rim protector can have such a pervasive effect on your defense no longer the case? Like, so is it a compel issue or is it more uh, just the idea that like one player can solve a lot on, on defense? Well, I think they were hoping he wouldn't have to be the one guy. That he sure. would have enough help from Hunter, from Reddish, if he had developed, from got you know younger guys like Herder, just like developing defensively over time. Collins, who's like an athletic shot contester, shot blocker, that they could, you know, cobble together enough supporting pieces to make that work. A Kongu, as Waz mentioned as well, really like useful switchable defender. It feels like there's enough pieces here where if Capella is an all defense candidate. A guy who, like like last year, was kind of on the on the ballot in the running for Defensive Player of the Year. If he's that guy, they should be a good team. Mm. He doesn't appear to be that guy right now. Right. Um, so who else will we have on our ballot? Because this one, this is where it gets really kind of tough. I didn't include Alvin Gentry, if only because that was, I think, a foregone conclusion. Yeah. Uh, he got the interim tag off the bat, and I don't think he's done a lot there to prove otherwise. I think they're like five and twelve uh, since the trade deadline. So uh, I think that's probably not worth discussing. Anybody else you guys see out there that like Carlisle obviously is safe. He's, he's pretty entrenched over there. Yeah. A lot of these, a lot of these bad teams have pretty new coaches or disappointing yeah. teams have pretty new coaches. So it's hard to imagine somebody getting fired and, after one season or a partial. What happened in Detroit this year after getting the number one pick last year, what, what were they really supposed to be? So you can't do that. Uh, yeah, I'm not really seeing it. The Pelicans, again, another one of these teams, third coach in three years. Mm-hmm. I'm not really seeing where, you know, the hot seat lies, which is kind of crazy. I think there is one. And it's mm-hmm. there's a couple of pressure points developing Ooh. around Quinn Snyder Ooh. in Utah. Yeah, as soon as you said that, I was like, yeah. That seems like the one. And there's a reason why, you know, Mark Stein reported this morning that teams like the Lakers, if they part with Vogel, other teams with openings would obviously be very interested in Quinn Snyder because he's a very good coach. Interesting. But they're a a core of a roster that's been together for a minute. They're going to have to make some changes if they lose or have a disappointing postseason, which, I mean, we'll have to wait and see, but I'm not terribly optimistic about their chances to make it through the West. You could see Snyder as a fall guy again through no real fault of his own because that roster is just not built to defend. Mm. Quinn Snyder, Lakers legend. (laughs) He's going to go home. Um, Yeah, I can see that. Although it's tough with a lot of these guys who have been entrenched that long to see them really picking up leaving, especially with a, a, a team that kind of bases its entire worldview around consistency. Uh, I don't know. That seems like a, a little bit dicey. And to, to pin it on Quinn as the fall guy there seems just like missing the entire Especially point. when the easier thing to do is just trade Donovan Mitchell for a shit ton of stuff and just keep it pushing. Like, yeah. that seems like that would be easier than like, all right, let's find a guy that's going to come in here and make Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell like each other. Like, that seems way harder to me. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm wrong here. Do you want the job, Waz? Do you want that assignment? No, absolutely not. (laughs) I will say that although they are consistent as an organization in a broad sense, they've had a lot of front office overhaul lately, Mm. new ownership. I think not unprecedented for teams in that position to look to make organizational level changes like that, even for accomplished coaches like Snyder. And especially for Danny Ainge, the kind of guy who's like, Really, like, I want to have my fingerprints on every single thing that's within the organization that I'm in charge of. I can see Danny Ainge being like, look, Quinn Snyder's a nice guy, good coach, but he's not my guy. I need a guy that's mine. Oh, does he make a lot of trades, Danny Ainge? Does he make a lot of moves? He yeah. almost does. <laughs> he almost makes a lot. Laughable. Uh, I have a couple other names to throw at you guys. Uh, Steven Silas in Houston. Obviously built to fail, especially since like the day after he got the job, James Harden was was partying with little baby, um, a guy that I guess I could name drop right now as if I know who that is. Um, but it's been pretty pretty brutal, and I guess if you wanted to set your team up for for a different like approach here, maybe get a guy who's a little bit more of a, a Mark Denio or whatever his That's name not is. even close. <laughs> what is it? Mark Dagnall. Dagnall. That's close. Similar. 
similar beats. Embarrassing. Uh, yeah. similar yeah. I, professional I mean, podcaster. I, yeah. could see, I could see Steven Silas take, somehow taking the fall for a team that's just straight up not supposed to be good. Um, and it's not like when they play, they seem like this rudderless group. Like, they seem like they play pretty hard. There's just a bunch of young guys who aren't very good yet, you know, despite, you know, how amazing all Rockets Twitter tells me um, Shen Goon is. Uh, the team itself isn't good yet. And maybe they're close to it. But I, I think he definitely de deserves a shot next year with, you know, young guys who have made off-season developments and are better than they were the year before. I think they have growth potential. And you want to see, you know, the guy deserves a shot. I think he has more time. I think he has a longer runway. And if at the end of next season, they look like a disorganized group that doesn't have a lot of momentum in any particular direction, then maybe it's a conversation we have. But I think he has more time. Because um, other than like playing a couple veterans over some younger players in certain spots, other than, I mean, I wouldn't have put the ball in Kevin Porter Jr.'s hands personally. <laughs> That's not my my natural <laughs> mode, but I can understand the temptation to try it. Yeah, and there have been clashes with one Kevin Porter Jr., but I almost wonder how much is that on the organization for bringing him that's, into the environment. That's a, that's a Kevin Porter Jr. specialty. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, other guy I would mention, Chauncey Billups. Ooh, it's not gone well there. <laughs> not a good season for, for Chauncey. Yeah, I guess everything in Portland could be up for grabs. Um, here's one. Someone setting his own seat ablaze. Greg Popovich. Yep. I was thinking about this too. It kind of, it would not surprise me if he just kind of went into the sunset this off season. And maybe we just have to think about that every off season going forward until he eventually does. He's just at that point in his life and his career, but it feels like a nice bookend setting the record this season. It feels like a natural transition point for the team in a lot of ways. I don't know who the heir apparent would be there or if they look to hire someone from outside when, whenever pop does look to, retire, transition into a different role, become a consultant, whatever that looks like for him. But we're, we're nearing those days one way or the other. Yeah, I, I mean, and I could definitely see him not making a big deal of it and just like walking away on like September 1st with a press release and nobody knew it was coming beforehand. Like Jim yeah. Calhoun did this thing at UConn where he retired at the start of a new season specifically. So they had to hire Kevin Ollie, his handpicked successor. I could see pop very much doing the same thing, both very cranky old men as well. Also worth noting that that's basically exactly what Tim Duncan did was <laughs> not really talk about retiring. And then at the end of a playoff series was like, I'm not really going to say, and then all of a sudden he was retired. So if pop does go that route, there'd be a nice symmetry to it for sure. He kind of did it again with leaving assistant coaching as well. He was just gone at the start of one season. Um, last guy I would mention, Steve Kerr. No. <laughs> nah, Steve Kerr is good. Run Steve a Kerr. goddamn pick and roll, Steve. Oh Don't God. have Steph out there. Stop worrying about the ball motion. It's a beautiful game, but not when you play it with fucking Chris Chioza, man. I didn't know you went full Warriors Twitter, Justin. Uh, Come on. Did you, did you see that meme I put in the Slack? It was it was him and him and Pete Carroll um, just like giving each other like a handshake, very happy to see each other. And the caption was, when you keep the ball out of your best offensive player's <laughs> hands, <laughs> uh, let Russ cook. Hashtag let Russ cook. There you go. Yep. <laughs> All right. That's it for us this week. Uh, we'll be back next week. Thank you to Isaiah Blakely on production. We'll see you. 